Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Throughout every calendar year, there are countless of opportunities that a Christian often employs to reset his walk with God, to renew, to recharge, to revolutionize and revive his spirituality. Often a birthday would be a renewal opportunity, perhaps even a new year on the calendar perhaps some festival within the church liturgical calendar, perhaps a conference, perhaps a new book or a new movement, or oh, the, the, the list is endless when it comes to opportunities to, to refocus and recharge and restructure the spiritual life. And often Christians would fixate on methods, And I want to introduce you to perhaps another approach. If you're at a stage in your Christian life where you are yearning for revival, renewal, and strength, I want to challenge you to focus not on a what, but on a who. From Romans chapter 7, I picked this up in the writings of the Apostle Paul. In Romans 7, there is the good intention of Paul. There's the standard of the law. There's the desire to do things good, to do it right. There's the desire for purity and holiness and and just to do it God's way, so to speak. And the Apostle is in this tension between his flesh and the Spirit and grace and works and this method, this formula, this law, this commandment, and sin. And you read Romans 7, and it's just a mess because it deals with the what Paul can do. But towards the end of Romans 7, Paul says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am. You see, if you are just in the tension of doing and not doing, and what more can be done, and what more can be avoided, then I believe you can probably understand Paul's word here when he says, I'm wretched. Are you a miserable, frustrated, wretched Christian? Then I would submit to you, probably you're focusing mostly on just a what. So Paul would say here, wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will deliver me. It's not what more can I do. It's not what more should I learn or memorize or what can I avoid. Paul refocuses our attention and says, it is a who that will do this renewal work for me. Beloved, this who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that it is done is not through a method and a habit and a stratagem of the flesh of man, even the good flesh of man. 
It will be not by works. It will be not by power, by human ingenuity, but it will be by Jesus, the Christ himself. And if you want to reset and recharge and renew, I want to plead with you, reconsider the what versus the who. Because the what is really the fallen economy of man, and it's even the economy of religion. Religion is so fixated on the what's. But I want to tell you, God is into the who. God has exalted the person of Jesus Christ to be everything to the man and the woman that would believe in him. Every single thing that you need to renew your life with or overcome this issue or have breakthrough here, everything is in the person of Christ because in him dwells the fullness of God. Beloved, are you still fixating on what's? Or if you learned the New Testament economy of God, that it's a who. What will deliver me from this miserable condition? Well, if you're still thinking that way, then good luck. At the end of this particular season, tell me how that what is going for you. But that is not what Paul teaches us. Paul says, who, who, who will deliver me? And that who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, let this be a renewal in your mind and in your paradigm. And I want to introduce to you further, perhaps deeper, in this upcoming speaking the ways of man versus the ways of Almighty God in Jesus Christ by the powerful, indwelling, life-giving Spirit of the Lord. There was a time that I attempted to live the Christian life in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But how thankful I am that the Lord has also shone a light into my being and showed me that God's predominant burden and heart and concern is that you and I would live by His nature. And in our time together, I want to contrast again a little bit the nature of God and the nature of the fallen man. The heart of God, the heart of the natural, fallen, self-right man. And I want to write two words on the board this morning, and then I want to press that thought into you really, really hard. We have the tree of life in the book of Genesis. We have the tree of the knowledge of what is good and evil. We know that that tree is really just the tree of death because God says there in Genesis 2 that if you eat this tree, you will die. The actual Hebrew, in dying, you will surely die. When the man and the woman ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into them, a dying process ensued. Adam still lived some 900 years, 
but a dying process began to take place in his mind, in his emotions, in his strong will for the Lord. So death does not mean that Adam stopped living as a human being. Death just means that Adam became cut from the source of God. God's source is life. In dying, you will surely die. So Adam began to live a life that was separated, divorced, and cut from God. Therefore, the Lord then says, I hate divorce. What is divorce? Separation. A cutting. A removing. So here the man and the woman is, as it were, divorced from God. They're cut from the supply. Now they need to live out the mandate of God. We've talked about this. They were created in God's image. They were empowered with God's authority. They had a mandate to multiply and fill and just live it up. They were under the blessing of God. Now they got to go live this out. But they live this out wholly cut from God, divorced, separated, alienated, distanced from God. And we even have that picture where the man and the woman are driven out of the garden. So we see a demarcation line, a separation. Now we have to go live out the blessing of God, the image of God. It's not so easy. So the first thing that we did, living separated from God, is that we realized we were naked. We weren't clothed and covered. So the first thing that we did is we took the things of the earth, things from trees, you know, because trees play an enormous role. The tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we saw yet another tree fig tree. This looks pretty harmless, okay? I feel rather ashamed and naked, so I'll take that leaf, and yeah, give me that one, and I'll take that one, and we began to stitch clothing for ourselves. We began to create a kind of a covering, because we know God is looking down on us, and somehow we know that we are not quite that acceptable before the Lord. So what we began to do is create our own clothing, our own covering. And the Lord looked upon that covering and said, this is not good. This is horrible designing work. God took an innocent animal. Actually, turn to Genesis 3 verse 21. I need to show you this. And Jehovah God made coats of skin, not fig leaves. The man and the woman took the elements from a tree to cover themselves, and God took the element of life. It's highly significant. God took a living, breathing animal, stopped its life, so that your life can continue. You and I took fig leaves. 
God takes life. On the one hand, you and I initiated clothing where we took a hold of the wrong ingredients, so to speak. And then we see here that God initiates sacrifice. And God initiates blood. Now keep your finger here. It says here, yeah, that the Lord made coats of skin for the, the man and his wife, and God clothed him. So in the economy of God, clothing is the burden of God. He wants us to be clothed. But not with the elements of something that decays like a leaf is going to dry out and then crackle and break down. Coats of skin, well, it's going to last a little bit longer. Yeah? Turn to Leviticus Keep your finger there. Turn to Leviticus chapter 17. So we ask the question, what is wrong with a fig leaf? Well, exactly that. It doesn't have a life element in it of blood. The animal skin coming from the sacrifice Blood is involved. And notice here in Leviticus 17 verse 11, you know this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make expiation, that is, redemption, covering, atonement for your souls. Notice how blood does something for your inner man. Blood does something for your life. Your soul here means your life. The blood does something for your souls on the altar. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes expiation, that makes covering, that makes atonement, that makes redemption. Saints... It is the heart of God that man live. But how will you live? By blood. Life is shed for the preservation of life. Life is shed for the impartation of life. Here, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we take things according to our own understanding, our own desire, our own wisdom, and we take that which is just easily accessible and readily available and we take a fig leaf and we cover ourselves to make ourselves presentable. And that represents how many of us even live the Christian life. We take things that's just so easy, but we stitch it together and before long it dries out and it shrinks and it begins to crumble and I'm naked again. And then I got to get more fig leaves and hey, I'm going to leave the fig tree. Let's, let's try a papaya tree and a mango tree. And then we try all the trees and we get Michael Kors involved. Like, can you just help me? Is there like a lacquer we can spray over the leaf to just preserve it a little bit? So Michael Kors, he fails dismally. So we call Calvin. Hey, Calvin, Mr. Klein, can you come and help me like stitch things together? So he comes with a brand new stitch pattern we spray some lacquer over it next thing we know it begins to stinketh and it's ugly and it, it, it crumbles even worse it scratches oh, now I need the Aveda company to come get me some lotion because Mr. Klein's outfit is horrible and all the while that's how we attempt to live the Christian life God says no I have a different way
Francois, what's the point you're driving at? Simply this. God's economy is altogether different than you and I's economy. God's economy is impartation. Man's economy is reformation. To reform. God's economy is to impart life into you as the engine that will drive the Christian life. Remember John chapter 6, verse 57. Those who eat me will live by me. We live by the indwelling of the Lord that is imparted. Another word we can even use is incarnation. Incarnation. Even the word oneness. The two becoming one. This is what life represents. Is God in me and me in God. Becoming one. And I live out the Christian life by the indwelling of the Lord. As it were, God incarnates into me. Inasmuch as I take a sip of coffee, the coffee and I become one. We eat pizza, the pizza and I become one. This is what life represents. It is an experience that is subjective. It's indwelling. It's subjective. This is how God's economy operates. I want to become one with people. Incarnate myself into them. Aha! The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is entirely different. And I want to ask you to help me with some words to describe how you and I live. How fallen man, how even the natural man, how the self-wise man, even the religionized person lives. Well, we don't live by a subjective indwelling Lord. We live in a kind of an objective way. And you know what objective people do? It's instead of living by an impartation, living by an indwelling, we live by a kind of an imitation. We imitate the things of God. And you know what we do? We copy. We copy. Here, God Himself is my life. On the other side, I copy the things of life. And here my obsession is to reform myself, hence the personal wardrobe choice. Here I try to make myself acceptable before the Lord. Here I use the elements of the world, but that doesn't have a life form in it. It's not ordained of God. And here I try to present myself and clean up myself and reform myself. Here I even try to imitate God from a distance. I try to copycat God. Here, I'm a partaker. I'm a partner with God. I'm one with God. This is the whole big issue here, is oneness with God. Now, give me some other words of how we live the religion life apart from life. Some other words. Distance. Separated. Copycat. Imitation. We try to reform ourselves. Other words. Very good. Striving. Calculating. Very good. 
striving, calculating. In, in other words, we kind of like come up with formulas, right? Formulaic. Formulas, yeah. When was the last time you sat under Christian ministry where formulas were not dished out to you? That's just what we do. Step one, step two, point A, point B. What else? We make it up as we go. Instead of living by an indwelling supply, we just initiate it here, make it up as we go. Imaginative. What else? How do we try to live this religious life, this so-called Christian life? What's been your experience? Frustration. Well, that's the fruit of it all, yeah. <laughs> But initially, I'm not setting out to be a frustrated Christian. I'm going to like sow some fig leaves together. Come on. Yeah. Self-righteousness. Absolutely. Self-rightness. Self-righteousness. Self-right. Yeah. How do we arrive at self-rightness? Well, self-effort. Self-wisdom. Self-knowledge. What else? What's been your experience? Exactly, very good. Self-preserving. Yeah. Focusing on like people rather than the Lord. Mm. They're doing it. Like being obsessed with like movements. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I think many of us are people-oriented and fad movement-oriented instead of Christ-oriented. Yeah, good word. What else? What's been your experience? Just wanting like immediate affirmation. Yeah. Results. Results. Very good word. There's the word I'm looking for. Results. Because after all, that was the temptation, was it not? If you eat this, you will be like God and you'll know everything that God knows now. Oh, that is tempting. Is that not just tempting? Results. After all, if you take these steps, and if you do exactly this way, then uh, you can have results. Very good. And I want to sum it up in one word. Death. Death. So no matter how we spin this good, evil, knowledge, Jesus, uh, God says there in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 2, when you eat this, in dying, you will surely die. You get cut from being a partaker of God. You get cut from the impartation of God. You're cut from the indwelling of God. Oneness, intimacy. And now you're left sort of to your own devices. And this is the birth of religion. Religion is doing all of these many things to somehow appease God, cover ourselves, improve ourselves. We are about improvement. Is that not just a good word? Self-improvement. We all realize something has horribly gone wrong with me. And so I set out to self-improve. Now, there's nothing wrong with learning and improving yourself, but when it comes to a walk with God, it's not like I can try to improve and figure it all out. God's economy is entirely different. We live by His indwelling. And this is the secret of the Christian life, is to learn how to receive this indwelling Lord.
Turn to 1 Corinthians. It's a very obscure little verse here in the middle of an argument about your body and fornication and sleeping around and all of those types of things. Paul throws out this tremendous spiritual thought right here in the middle of it. Um, back up a little bit there and go to uh, verse 12. We're going to get to verse 17, but it's also good. And the context here literally is problems in the church life in Corinth. And he addresses problem after problem after problem. But typical Paul, he speaks about practical things and he speaks about issues and problems that they do have. But... Every now and again, he just throws these immense spiritual nuggets right there in the midst of it. And you and I, we get so caught up in the problem, in the situation, that we sort of miss these little nuggets he throws out. And verse 17 is one of those nuggets. But hey, let's pick up the context here in verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful to me. I can do whatever I want. Most of us love that verse a lot. It's just, I can do it. I can get, just do whatever I want. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. Mm. All things are lawful to me, but watch this. I will not be brought under the power of anything. That's good. I can do anything I want at any time. Even though it's lawful to me, I can eat what I want. I can drink what I want. But I will not let anything in this earth have power over me. That is, dominate over me. Because I'm in Christ, I have the ability to say no to things when all the others say yes. In verse 13, he says, Foods are for the stomach, and the stomach for food. But God will bring to naught both it and them. He goes on, The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Verse 14, And God has both raised up the Lord, and will raise us up through His power. Verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Can you see the context? Stop sleeping around, Corinthian people. Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one body? For he says the two shall be one flesh. And then notice verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. This is the tree of life. This is indwelling. This is oneness. This is God's economy. It's that you and I live from a place of oneness. And Paul throws out the most remarkable spiritual truth here. When a man sleeps with a woman, they become one flesh. But when you believe into God, you become one in spirit with Him. That means He begins to live in you and you begin to live in Him. And you live by an indwelling Lord. You don't live at a distance just copycatting God making up stuff. You actually live by the supply within. In fact, notice the next few verses here. Paul says in verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin which a man may do is outside the body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. And then in verse 19, 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and notice that word, within you, within, whom you have from God and not your own. For you've been bought with a price, so then glorify God in your body. The point is very simple. We as humans can become one through physical interaction. But inside of you is a capacity to also interact with God. And as much as humans experience oneness in your spirit, you can experience oneness with the Lord. And it is a oneness that pertains to eternity. When people get together, it's for a night. Yeah? When you and the Lord get together, it's an eternal situation. Because you join and mingle with the eternal Spirit of God. And that becomes the driving engine inside of you. This is God's economy. This is man's economy. Humans visit each other. Here, we don't visit God. We live and move in God. Here, we have select times, visitations, get-togethers. Here, it's a lifestyle that I'm preaching. Jesus did not die so that you and God can have visitation hours with each other. God's blood was shed so that you could receive this indwelling life. And I remind you, one of the characteristics of this life is it has this eternal capacity. It just is eternal. That means you and I can live in God as a lifestyle instead of just visiting God. We live by an indwelling nature. That's the word I really want you to get into your heart, is that we live by the nature of God. We're not just at a distance anymore visiting God and checking in on a Sunday morning and checking in at a quiet time here and checking in at a conference there. You've got to get to that place where you and I live and move and our entire being is in and by God. This is the normal Christian life. This is God's economy. Here you and I involve all sorts of mechanical formulaic processes to get a kind of a feeling. And here, we just live. We just live. In fact, the Lord just quickened me. Go quickly to uh, the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation 3. Um, before we get to the notes. Oh, glory. I am a Bible teacher, not a note teacher, okay? So if we read more Bible verses than we read notes, is that okay with everybody? Thank you. Notice in Revelation chapter 3. All right, a little bit of background. In Revelation, we have seven churches. They were actually literal churches there in Asia that um, John um, is writing to. But these churches signify spiritual truths. And they also signify spiritual ages in church history. And um, so much depth in these seven churches. And I want to point out one particular uh, community here, the church in Sardis. It's a literal church that existed 2,000 years ago. But it also represents a kind of a spiritual truth that people over the past 2,000 years can take and, and learn from. But notice what is said here in verse 1. 
and onwards, and to the messenger of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. Notice that word, works. And just prior to that, we had the, uh, the word seven spirits. So you see the spirit of God here versus the works of men. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are living. But in all actuality, you are dead. Do you see that? What a phenomenal uh, snapshot of a group of Christians living there in the first century, and perhaps even a snapshot of many of us throughout the church age. And there is the seven spirits of God. And here is the works of the Christians. And it's almost immediately that a contrast is set up. Here, we live by the indwelling spirit. Here, we live in a system of works, of what is good and evil. And the Lord says here, you have a reputation. You have the appearance. You are actually known. You have a name that you are living because of all the many things that you do. It just looks like you're alive. But the Lord's verdict is, you're not. You're dead. This is religion, saints. Where we are so much ado about nothing. Fig leaves from morning to evening. And we have such a wardrobe of self-made, self-imposed worship. That it looks like we are alive on every front. And the Lord would take an x-ray shot. The condition of our inner man, he says, uh-uh. I know your works. You're much ado about everything. You're all over the place. But you're actually not in the source. You're in fig leaves. You're not in blood. You're not in the indwelling spirit. Even the sevenfold spirit of God. You are just in the self. Isn't that an interesting word? Notice verse 2. Become watchful and establish the things that remain, which were about to die. The things of the Lord are slowly fading, and the things of man is rising. Things of God is about to die. The things of man, oh, it's about to rise up and be strong. And it's as though the works of man and all of our religious mechanical formulaic approaches is gaining strength, momentum. It's becoming the standard and the indwelling of the Lord. It's slowly fading. And the Lord says here, I have found that none of your works are completed before my throne. What a word. You guys have been doing so much stuff. Stitching so many outfits together. And all that work that was outside of the source. God judges it incomplete. Even though it may have a global status. So we have to search a little bit our inner man. We have to search our past experiences. 
How many things have you done outside of the blood of Jesus, the life of God, the indwelling of the Spirit? So many things and so many offerings and fire that we even bring before the Lord says, here is my portion and this is what I've got to give. And we just make it sort of up and this is my work, Lord. Please bless it. It's not that the Lord is against good works, but the whole focus is who is the source? God's economy is different because the foundation is different. The foundation is different. The foundation is just God. Amen! Here, on the other side, the foundation is guilt. Shame. The foundation is distance. And so from that foundation of guilt, I'm going to do works. I'm going to try to do penance. I'm going to try to improve. Because the foundation is completely wrong. Therefore, the fruit of it is also wrong. Remember, whatever the entrance is, whatever the start is, it determines the whole way. If the start is wrong, then whatever comes out of it is going to be wrong. Yeah? Here, the start is just God. God is the tree of life. Hallelujah! So, whatever we do now, we manifest life. We're the byproduct. We bear the fruit of life. The foundation is different. On the right, I have a quote. Man is deceived into thinking that he can be the cause of his own effect. It is for this reason that the cumulative result of man's efforts to sanctify himself always falls short of the miraculous. In other words, if you are the cause of your own Christian life, there will be no imprint of the miraculous on it. Here, you live by God and has the imprint of the miraculous non-stop because you live by the supply that is supernatural. It's miraculous. Hallelujah. Point number two. God's economy is different from man's economy because the method is different. The method. Here, we live in the method of the Spirit. We live in the method of life. Here we live in the method of love, the love of God that compels us. And above all, we live in the method of grace. This is how we live the Christian life. We live by an indwelling supply that is supernatural, grace. Grace is a gift. It's an impartation. It's a supply. And we just, we pray by grace. We fast by grace. We mission, evangelize by grace. Yeah. On the other hand, we do everything by condemnation and fear and guilt, inferiority, shame. The method is entirely different. Paul says there on the right in Galatians 3, you started in the method of the Spirit. Now are you trying to be perfected through the method of the flesh and the law and works? Answer? No. Man's reformation is by way of exerting human strength, even inflicting harsh treatment on the body, trying to subdue the passions, and thereby supposedly bringing forth the good in man. God's deliverance is by putting His Spirit into us, His divine life into us, and from that divine life within, He begins a work in our spirit. 
It begins a work that spreads through our soul. And it begins a work that will end up in our bodies completely being made alive. God works from the inside out. And He works by the principle of grace and spirit and life and light. Man works by the principle of fig leaves. And then number three, God's economy is different because the result is different. The result. God's foundation is different. The beginning is different. Therefore, the way is different and the end is altogether different. The result of living by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The result. The highest peak that you can climb to in self-effort, in works, in strong determination, in religion, the highest plane that you can get to, the highest plane is good. This is the highest plane we can get to in religion. And look how low it is still. The highest plane that we can get to living by the Spirit, the result of the indwelling Lord, is that we experience this thing the Bible talks about called transformation. Yeah? And you know what transformation will do for us? We have a word that we're afraid to use, and I will now go ahead and use it. Glorification. You will be glorified. Glorified means completely transformed in every particle of my being so that I become a partaker of the divine ooh, nature of God. He's constantly transforming me, sanctifying me, cleansing me from an inward reality so that in due time I will be glorified and fully manifested as of God. Currently we still look a lot like of mom and dad, of culture, of the world. But God is sanctifying us to get us to this high level, partaker of the divine, glorified. And those of us who still live a very religious life, the highest level we can climb to is, hey, I'm good, I don't sin. I'm a good human. In God's economy, the foundation is different. His way is entirely different. And the result, oh my, it's glorious. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. Here, it's good. Good is good, but it's altogether on a different level than God.